0: Oh, hello. I didn't see you walk in. Yes, sit down here and uh, we'll tell you a little story about some cover songs. What we do here at Pod Like a Hole, we do these things called B-sides. And you've just stumbled upon one of them. Lock the, lock the doors. No getting out now. Um, the sound of this mellifluous voice that you're hearing is mark the host and co-creator of this thing we call pod like a hole season two we fell into the bowie trap david bowie to be exact uh season one we talked about trent reznor nine inch nails with a little bit of atticus ross thrown in there and nothing records and basically the universe of trent reznor now we're in the universe of david bowie and who knows where this ship will will sail us to next to go around the horn uh, playing shortstop tonight, number 23, I have Eric Anderson. Hey, Coach. Thank,
1: coach, thanks for letting me sit in on this one. I appreciate it.
0: I have to say, that drop like came in super fast, like you knew what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, man. <laughs> and then uh, the King, King of the Wild Frontier... That would be Stephen Earl.
2: Do you know how we were able to pay for this wonderful upgraded version of Zencaster?
0: I have no idea. Did you uh, tip over a milk truck? What, what happened?
2: No, I didn't do my best version of Robert De Niro and the Irishman. I did not steal the beef. These funds came from our Patreon listeners. So there you go, Patreon listeners. You may have noticed the last few episodes do sound a bit better. And part of the reason is this uh, higher bandwidth version of ZenCaster we're using now, which also has such things like this. (laughs) (laughs) That's not going to get old.
0: Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) We're Uh, we're
1: the scrappy version of Office Hours over here.
0: (laughs) I know. Oh, yes. This will be great. This will be great. So... With viewers like you and listeners like you, we were able to make an upgrade. So many thanks to uh, probably some of our relatives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and for a while. For a while, at least.
2: Uh, one, of them, one of them just cut me off. Uh-oh. <laughs> Not like that. No. She put in a good year's worth of uh, patreoning almost. almost.
0: So. Well, there you go. Hats off. Exactly. Christmas
2: Christmas comes around and you're looking at what you can cut back on. You're like, oh, my God, I'm still paying for my my brother-in-law's podcast that I've never listened to before.
0: Yeah, that's the first to go. Since the episode that we're leading into from David Bowie is Pinups, which if you're not familiar with Pinups, it was a all covers album uh, presented by the man himself. And so we decided... Uh, as we talk about our favorite top five favorite covers. Now, I know that our lists are probably going to ebb and flow with the waves of time, but uh, I feel pretty confident in in my list this evening. How about you guys?
1: I uh, This list isn't going to be like for me as a, a music critic, which I don't consider myself. These are just ones that I've always enjoyed and still enjoy, and, you know, I'm not saying they're... Uh... They're better than your uh, your favorite Credence cover of a Temptation song, but uh, I, I'd, I'd, I'd stack them up there for me.
2: Uh, mine are all going to be very on brand, as most of ours are probably going to be. And uh, it, it is complete. There's no way to rank the best covers of all time, except to say that unequivocally, Guns and Roses version of "Live and Let Die" is infinitely superior to Paul McCartney's version of
0: "From Wings." Oh shit! I. I... I had forgot about that cover, and yeah, it's pretty great. It is pretty great. Uh,
1: what makes a good cover song? I mean, because, I mean, in a way, and we'll talk about this when we get to pinups, which is all cover songs, um, they can either be great or they can fall flat on their face uh, because you have an artist who's not, who suddenly not, we'll just say we're not expre- they're not expressing themselves um, in the way that they usually do. With their own songwriting, so what? What? What makes a good cover song?
2: If it's an artist doing a very faithful, faithful rendition of the cover, it has to be a a, a version of the cover that that art. Like let's let me put it this way: I want an artist to put their own spin on it. That first and foremost, if they do a cover of a song and it sounds exactly the same, that can be detrimental, unless they sound exactly the same to the cover, but they're a completely different genre. To take it back to, like, Zap and Roger, if Zap and Roger managed to do a version of uh, The Clash's London Calling that sounded exactly like London Calling, well, I would love the fact that Zap and Roger managed to sound exactly like The Clash. But if it were to be any other, like, for David Bowie, for example, um, on Pin Ups, Let's say, uh, I can't explain. Is that, That's a Who song, isn't it? And I think he puts enough of his own spin on it to where it doesn't sound like the original. If it sounded exactly like the original, I would be bored of it. So, it's two things. Put their own spin on it, and if they're not going to put their own spin on it, hopefully the uh, source material is so unlike what they usually do that they're stepping outside the box.
0: Got it? To make this kind of sound like a staff meeting, I'll go ahead and piggyback on what Steven said. And... Basically, say I agree with what he had mentioned, but I also like cover songs that um, not only put their own spin on it but take it in a completely different direction. Um, And one thing that I also appreciate about some cover songs out there, uh, when they do a version of it, they almost take ownership of the original song. Um, That's one of the things that was kind of in my criteria, like would I prefer the original or actually prefer the cover version? Um, and I think that just goes on to what Steven was saying, you know, the sense that they're putting their own spin on it. They're painting with their own brush, but they're going well outside the lines of what the original framework was all about.
1: Yeah. I, I would say that. I, I think everything you guys said is, is spot on. And I think the good, like the test of that is if you listen to an album all the way through, let's say it's not a covers album. It's just a regular album that has a cover song in it. Does the, does the way that the band handles that cover song, adding their own little twist and does, does the source material thematically fit their sound as a band and what they're trying to do on this album? And if, if it does, then then, then, uh, then they've taken something else and I don't know, made it perfect for their sound.
0: Well, should we tarry no further and get right into our top five? I think we shall. Stephen lead off. Number five. Hank
2: Williams the third, his version of Bruce Springsteen's Atlantic City. Gonna be a rumble out on the promenade,
1: and the gambling commission's hanging on by the skin of its teeth. What out the
0: Where can we find such a cover?
2: It is on the album. Uh, it's a bonus track on some versions of the album. Uh, drunk, love sick, and drifting. Or no, I'm sorry. Broke, love sick, and drifting. But typically, both those things happen at the same time when you're love sick and drifting. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a bonus track on that album, and it takes Bruce's song this off of Nebraska. And Nebraska, as you both know, is a strip back album of Bruce Springsteen songs he recorded on a uh, four track. I want to say very sparse and Hank's version is a honky tonk bluegrass reimagining of that song. The music is great. A lot of fiddles, his high pitch Hank Williams, the vocals are perfect for the subject matter, which is about a down and out couple. And the husband is going to go down to Atlantic City and uh, make some money blowing up the chicken man soon. So it's, uh, I actually prefer it to the Bruce Springsteen version, which is saying a lot because uh, I love the boss. And I might have mentioned this on this podcast before. His version, it, it, it coincided with getting into the Bruce Springsteen big time at the same time. So it was a fun discovery. Uh, he, definitely put, he definitely puts his own spin on it. And it's a great... Great song. Just to
1: go back to the source material for a minute, uh, Nebraska is one of the only Springsteen albums I, I purchased, um, uh, and the the reason why I got it is 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 so weird, and it just kind of came back to me. Um, the only game show I've ever really enjoyed, do you guys remember the Comedy Central game show from going on almost 20 years now called Beat the Geeks? I do not. It was...
2: No, but based on the title, I'm sure you related to it.
1: Game show where there were three geeks. There was a movie geek, there was a music geek, and he looked like like toilet seat Elvis. And uh, I believe there was there was a TV geek, and then they would have random joes on there that would try to beat him. Essentially, that's the that's the premise. But uh, the music geek said, you know, uh, the the answer for one of the questions was it was like that was Nebraska. And he's like, it's the most depressing album of all time. is what the music geek said. And I was like, okay, now you have my interest. And uh, anyways, that's why I bought it. And I, and I did really enjoy enjoy it. That's a great song. I'll have to check out the Hank.
2: Among among the, uh, the indie rock nerds of the world, typically Nebraska, if they're going to only own one Bruce Springsteen album, it's not a slight to you, Eric, it's almost cliched. That's the one you're going to find in their, their collection. But there's a reason for that. It's a, it's a stripped down little dark, piece of songwriting and I think the the cover version that hang three does it uh it paints a whole it takes the same exact story but just it, it makes it go from uh, from black and white to color if you will
0: that's I, uh, I love it all right Eric number five
2: so obviously
1: as I talked about like I've just been in this industrial rut for a long time now it's kind of my genre I've I've just really been enjoying exploring stuff I used to like and stuff I never heard about uh, for like the last five years and but it, anybody that was into it in the 90s remembers these compilations these horrible compilations of like industrial bands do the 80s or or whatever by Cleopatra Records and it, it was always like for the most part the worst industrial bands you can you can you can picture you're raised in black and stuff like that um Spawn Ranch <laughs> yeah, <and> Spawn, <laughs> Spawn Ranch uh Uh, if you, you might get lucky and get like a pig, like horned out cover version of something on that. But (laughs) anyways, it was a whole thing. So I, there's not a lot to, there's not a lot of good stuff out there because it's, it's, it's so cheesy. Like take a hit song and then add like your most pleathered out industrial group and, and cover it and you've got a hit. Um, that being said, uh, a band that actually does have some street cred. Uh, By God 20. Their big song was The Bog, and it's a great song. I implore anyone to check it out. But they did a cover of Madonna's Like a Prayer that it, it just works really, really well. So that's going to be my number five. <laughs>
0: Did you ever have a chance to listen to Ogre doing Borderline? I think he did that on one of those things.
1: I think you're right. No, he did. No, you're absolutely right. And he did. A, yeah, he did a great job. Absolutely. So there's an example. There's an exception to the rule. Ogre as well.
2: And Mark just stole what I was gonna say. So yes. Name, it's
0: like well, there you go.
1: Not a lot of great talking points on this particular one. I just think it's a really cool cover, and uh, you know play it with, but uh but uh, check out the band in and where can you find it is on their big album that has the bog on it and still works so there you go what's this what's this band called again by god 20 by by, by god 20 by god 20 their their big song was the bog which is off that album also that's great but yes
0: got it for my number five which happens to also be an original song by Bruce Springsteen. Going right up the middle, straight down the pike, and it's going to be the Ghost of Tom Joad version by Rage Against the Machine. The Highway Patrol Chopper, come- Excellent choice, my dear friend. Holy smokes. I mean, both uh, versions are great. Um, I just recently rewatched The Grapes of Wrath and how Henry Fonda ends the movie with basically uh, wherever you'll see Injustice, I'll be there. Um, he basically gives that speech to his mom. I was a big fan of the Steinbeck book as well. Um, but... Uh, Of course, Bruce Springsteen does it in a more of a folk, kind of Woody Guthrie type style way, whereas "Rage Against the Machine" make it an absolute protest song, spitting with venom, Um, and it is by just it's catchy as shit. It's uh, just got some great guitar playing by Tom Morello. Um, This song has been covered eight ways till Saturday. Uh, by other bands such as Nickelback and, uh, you know, Mumford & Sons. But oh, oh Rise Against.
1: <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> but uh, I'm going to say that Rage Against the Machine um, definitely have part ownership of, of this song.
2: Yeah, they kind of gave that song a second life. They, they, it was a single, I believe, for them. Uh, yeah. of, uh, that, uh, was it, it wasn't that covers album, actually.
0: It was, it was. They up. did a covers album called Renegades. It was on there, but it was okay. that was kind of a re-recorded version of it. Well, a live um, version
2: was was a pretty popular. I recall by them.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was like a single that they gave away free with like the VHS version of the of like a home video, and um, then they released it again on Renegades, which was an all covers record too.
2: And it is off
0: the Bruce Springsteen album Devils and Dust. A good good record.
2: Yeah, and I, uh, I'd say that my preferred version of that song is actually, it's on a few different compilations in the last few years. Is there's a version of it that's a live? It's Bruce Springsteen and Tom Morello just playing it together, and it's yeah. kind of got it's, it's it's kind of a blending of the two versions of it, and uh, Tom Morello goes into full on Tom Morello mode on the guitar solos. He's <laughs> just. Oh man, he takes it. He takes it all as far as it can go with the uh, the guitar wizardry. I, I dig it.
0: All right, Steven, number four.
2: My number four is from an album with many covers on it that introduced us to a few artists, I'm sure. And to be obvious, because of this podcast, I would have picked Man Who Sold the World off of Nirvana's Unplugged, which is a fantastic version of that song. And if either of you have it on your list, I won't fault you. But one cover on there that really opened my eyes as a kid and has always stuck with me was Nirvana's version of Where Did You Sleep Last Night, which
0: Steven, out. We're going to have to talk about that a little bit later.
2: <laughs> yeah, we are going to have to talk about that a little bit later. Oh, oh wow.
0: Serious? Right. The trifecta? We actually got something unanimous on all three lists?
1: We did, and 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 Steve did not uh, give the correct name of the song either, but yes.
0: yes. There's a little bit of controversy on that, but we'll talk about that when we get there.
2: All right. Well, now I wish I would have picked the Man Who Sold The World but I figure we'll talk plenty about that cover when the diamond dice rolls to main and sold the world. Next time we roll it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right, Eric, number four.
1: Uh, all right. So way back in 1998, uh, there was a compilation released called in the beginning, there was rap and this contained new artists doing um, renditions of old school hip hop tracks, like original hip hop tracks uh, for instance, um, there was the Def Squad that covered Rapper's Delight and made it actually a big hit with a video and kind of resurfaced that song quite a bit. But that's not the song I'm talking about. The Wu-Tang Clan covered Run DMC's Sucker MC's on that. One.
0: Four years ago, a friend of mine Asked me to say some MC vibes, so I said this rhyme I'm about to say. The rhyme was back and it went this way. Yo,
1: we took the test to become an OC. All the withers
0: in the crowd gotta make it me.
1: To uh to uh, to make it a thing of beauty. Uh first of all, you know, Run DMC is great, but the production, I mean it was good for the time, but it's very simple, 808 beatbox. Uh pounded away. So Rizza kind of recreated that, but he did it with his text, so it's a little noisier and a little grimier. And um, and then You know, the nine uh, Wu-Tang artists, I mean, I'm assuming it's most of them that were on that track, they start every verse the way it starts in the Run DMC song, and then they tweak it in their own little thing to make it fit their thing. And then the whole thing kind of, in the end, just evolves, and then the beat completely changes, and it just becomes a Wu-Tang song until the end. And it's uh, it's pretty bonkers, but it's a great little little track off a very interesting Curiosity, probably Forgotten Curiosity from uh, 98, but it was actually one of the first rap albums I ever bought
0: cool nice (laughs) i mean it's you know me i am a total blind spot when it comes to some hip-hop and uh, i have certainly exposed myself more and more when i uh, have conversations with especially you eric Um, but uh sounds great another one added to the list of things i need to listen to
1: well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how well that album holds up. Uh, you probably just listen to the originals for better, but this particular track is special.
0: My number four by uh, LCD Sound System. Um, they do an incredible rendition of Harry Nilsson's Jump Into the Fire.
2: Wait, no. That's Metallica's jump in the fire.
0: Um, and if you've never hear, heard Harry Nilsson's song uh, and you've seen the movie Goodfellas, you've heard this song. It was in the part where Ray Liotta's character, Henry Hill, was doing a Mad Dash uh, car ride. Um, and uh, he's going from here to there and he's got helicopters following him. Uh, it's that song. Um, that original song even had a friend of the show, Herbie Flowers, playing bass. That's a very... Distinctive bass line. And um, LCD sound system's version is it fucking cooks man i mean it is they would some uh, pretty much play this on the regular um during their encores um and it is just balls out great uh it is it hues very close to the original sound um but i gotta tell you that song the original and the cover um i am a big fan of james murphy he actually sings a lot like harry nelson um but uh Great version. Great cover. I love it. it. It gets me going. Correct
2: me if I'm wrong, but when you guys came over last week and we were
0: uh, hanging around the campfire,
2: wasn't Harry Nielsen one of those older fellows that David Bowie spoke of?
0: He was. He goes that far back. <laughs> He's not as young as he looks. Way to, way, way, to, way, way to keep it
2: coming full circle. I like that. I'll have to check that song out.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, it's great. Um, They do. There's a live version on their uh, last, quote unquote, last show uh, at Madison Square Garden. But there's one available off the Daft Punk single um, that's uh, Radio One Session, which kind of is like a in studio, but done basically with no no double takes. It's just all done live with no studio or uh, crowd noise. So check that one out. My number three now mark might
2: tell me i gotta wait again so let's see off of the songs to make love to Digipak is faith no more's version of the commodores
0: easy no go for it but that was definitely on my list that i had to whittle down but yes continue
1: no it sounds funny but i just can't stand the pain
2: This gets back to my uh, my comment earlier when Eric asked, "What makes a good cover?" It's a pretty note-for-note cover of the original, I'd say. Wouldn't you agree, Mark?
0: Absolutely. <laughs> With one exception, Jim Martin's guitar playing is uh, quite something on this version, but yeah.
2: Yeah, it, 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 it really sounds a lot like the original, which is a, a R&B song. Um, and it's just, the, the Faith the More did have all the elements you need. They have a, a good low end with the bass, uh, Roddy Bottoms, the piano playing, pretty good. And Jim Martin's got some zany guitar work he does on top of it. But Mike Patton, you know, he can bring it all home because this is really where I think Mike Patton started to show people his range. In my opinion, on the real thing. Yeah, his crooning, you know, which he went in he full full bore later, and it does sound a lot like the original version, which is amazing considering Faith No More is not an R and B band at all, didn't have any ballads at all, and this song, uh, I I, they did almost a pitch perfect version of it with just a couple sections where they do some humorous flourishes, but
0: ooh, <laughs> uh,
2: I, I think it's a I think the cover really respects the original song. The video is great. It's just the band hanging out with a bunch of cross-dressers in a hotel room. Yeah. It's just, when I listen to this song, like, on a weekend, it just puts me in such a good mood. I think it's a wonderful version of it. That's Faith No More's cover of The Commodores. Easy. Seek it
0: out. And that was found off of the EP or kind of a maxi single, Songs to Make Love To. Yes, that's right. I know you had mentioned that, but... It's worth mentioning again because on the cover is two rhinos doing the deed. Yes.
1: Yeah, I... I that, yeah, I, I do... Good, good, good call on that one. I always enjoyed hearing that come on when I was uh, working with you guys at the store. I feel like it was on regular rotation and I was okay with that. It's a great cover. Uh, my number three is... Well, I wanted to talk about it, but we already did. So I would just say... Had we not done season one, I would have thrown Dead Souls by Ninety Nails right here. But we did do season one, so I'm going to skip over that. And I'm going to say Police and Thieves by The Clash. track um written by junior mervin and produced by lee scratch perry just an old dub reggae song um that they uh they obviously did um uh during uh their like reggae phase and uh it's just a groovy thing and it just shows you how eclectic they were so uh, i'm a big fan of that uh particular cover
2: I will bring up Joe Strummer again in a moment.
1: Nice, yeah. Uh,
2: which album was that? Which album was that off of, Eric? That's off their
1: original, uh, original self-titled one. They uh, that's off their most punk album, and it kind of shows up in there as a, uh, as a kind of. It would have been at the time back in what '69. It would have raised some eyebrows for sure.
2: And I missed who did the original. Uh, Junior Mervin and Lee
1: Scratch Perry.
0: little reggae all right
1: that's right i'm not a reggae fan but uh every now and then it's used to good to it's used for good um and even some of that original stuff every now and then some guy came out with something that was just just kind of raw and kind of had some of that proto uh like rebel music uh to it which i appreciate so
0: all right my number three is probably a version of this song that uh, Bob Dylan purists would probably revile and hate, but I really enjoy it. And that is Ministry's version of Lay Lady Lay.
2: <laughs> I think I, I, you know, no surprise here. I, I might like it more than the original.
0: <laughs> it's a, I'm telling so you, so
2: fucking good. It's great.
0: It is a hoot. It is a hoot. And I'm a Bob Dylan fan. I I, I yeah, love same. me some Bob Dylan. But for whatever reason, the the deep distorted bass line, the little clicking percussion, the little like sliding in guitar, and then you've got out Al Jorgensen just like you know screaming it through a megaphone but I, I really like it a lot and in fact um, this was my introduction to Jen uh, showing Jen ministry and uh, she was like wow that's a really cool version to the point where you know she would uh, uh, listen to it on her own I mean let's face it whenever I've got the wives um, you know like hey listen to this they like kind of like humor me and like yeah that was good that was good but you know attempts to take it upon themselves to like that's a great version you know and not to mention that song it was the bob dylan version but it did play that was me and jen's uh first dance at our wedding reception um i i kind of wanted to throw the ministry version in there but that probably would have been harder to dance to um <laughs> i'm not known for dancing So anyhow, Lay Lady Lay, you can find that bad boy off of Filth Pig.
2: Great song. Great cover. Well done. It's also a very, it's also a very, um, it's a very 90s cover in a good way. I just think only in the mid 90s are you going to get that version of that song on the radio like they did. And I think that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Oh,
1: it's reminding me I should have picked Revolting Cox. Do you think I'm sexy? But that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> ship, that ship has sailed.
0: <laughs> it was in the mix. It was in the mix for me, too. <laughs> My number two.
2: Uh, when you think of cover songs, this guy comes to mind. He owned a lot of them. Maybe he's on your top two. In what I chose from his catalog, I could have picked many songs. I could have picked his version of Hurt, but that would have been a little bit too obvious. I could have picked his version of One. I could have picked his version of Rusty Cage. I could have picked his version of Redemption Song with Joe Strummer. But when I go through all of the the Johnny Cash American recordings, the one song that really gets me and I almost like more than the original, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, is his version of Nick Cave's The Mercy Scene. Oh, yeah
1: and god is never far away into the mercy seat i climb my head is shaved my head is wired and like a moth that tries to enter the bright eye i go shuffling out of life just to hide in death a while and anyway i never lie and the mercy seat is waiting and i think my head is burning
2: and in a way to be oh.
0: done with the oh, all
1: that's, good. Way that's
2: good off the truth, and i I believe it's good. off of American 3 i should have looked it's off American 2 or American 3 i believe and it's uh yeah it's it's Nick Cave's The Mercy Seat which is off of the album and
0: in a way I'm to be done with Tender Prey, Tender Prey I you got it check one
2: yeah and it's a pretty uh it's a pretty It's a faithful version, but stripped way back. I mean, the original version its the bad seed. There's a lot of blicks, the bargled noise going on. Nick Cave's vocals sometimes are like haunting in the distance and then he's screaming in your face. The end of the song just builds and builds and builds. Johnny Cash's version of Tim and the guitar, I believe, might just be those two things. If there's any other instrumentation, it's pretty subdued. But his vocals, they do the rising action. And they really do the building at the end, and it's just haunting, and it's perfect. And uh, I have a tattoo that says the mercy seat is waiting. I am a big fan of that song, both those versions. Johnny Cash's American catalog, everybody listening list probably has dabbled in it. You uh, you can't you can't go wrong with a lot of the his versions of other artists' music, and his originals in that uh, that that series of records that him and Rick Rubin did. So. Johnny Cash's cover of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Bad Seeds, The Mercy Seat.
0: across <laughs> the
2: <laughs>
0: Mercy Seat always seemed to me like a good companion piece for um the Folsom Prison song. You know, stuck in Folsom Prison. Yeah. It just, you've got. It, it was almost too perfect for Johnny Cash to cover it. um And perhaps that's why Rick Rubin presented it. And like, this is another good prisoner story. Let's do that one.
1: It's a perfect example of like the lyrics are telling you the story. So you know what's happening, but it just sounds like somebody slowly making their way down the hall to the executioner's chamber, so to speak, and just chains rattling as they walk. It's, 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 it's glorious.
2: Yes. It's almost the chains rattling part of it. It's almost a, you know, Dickinsonian, if you will.
1: Right. All righty. Well, it's a funny, uh, funny bridge to my number. What are we on two? my number two, number two, uh, yeah, uh, it's a Nick Cave song. Uh, Nick Cave did a lot of good covers. Steve, you may usurp this from me. I don't know. Um, my, I, I'm not as uh, well storied in Nick Cave as you are, but there's two covers that come to mind, and ultimately I had to go with the one that chokes me up when I watch the video. So my uh, my 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 B side slot would would have been their cover of Velvet Underground's "Venus and Furs" because it's so epic. But ultimately, the uh, cover of uh, What a Wonderful World that he does with Shane McGowan gets this old sucker choked up when he watches that video. It's just a very sweet video. And uh, it's, they do a beautiful job of the song. And even though Shane's clearly struggling in that video, you could tell that two guys love each other. And it's a song, it's song about, about love and finding love, you know, uh, where you can. It's great. I see skies of blue Clouds of white The bright blessed day And the dark sacred night And I think to myself Why?
0: colors of the rainbow so pretty in the sky are also on the yeah and like mostly a lot of things they
2: did in that era is that they especially Nick there is a hint of um, kind of like his version of in the ghetto there's a hint of uh, irony to it and cynicism but at the same time at the bottom of it all I think it's sincere there's just a hint, but I think uh, it comes from a sincere place. That's, that's a great cover. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we just passed through another Christmas season. And, of course, I listened to uh, Tale of New York by the Pogues a billion times. And Shane McGowan still isn't dead somehow. So good for him.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's an achievement.
0: Against all odds. Um, all right. Yeah, that was a good pick uh it's not one that i uh, it kind of for me falls through the cracks but whenever i do find uh it on my playlist whenever it hits on shuffle it always brings a smile to my face
1: oh shit sorry sorry i said my b my b choice was venus and furs they didn't do that song they did all tomorrow's parties and that's that's a hell of a pick that's what I, anyways. Sorry, uh but,
0: yeah i can see how you made I that meant. that mistake um because that's both off of the Banana album, isn't it? I know that's not the official title.
1: Yeah, they're both they're both essentially like Nico Nico tracks, so yeah. Yeah. Big Big John Cale strings going on. They would perfectly fit in Nick Cave.
2: All tomorrow. Now that actually worth mentioning though. All tomorrow's parties is off Kicking Against the Pricks, right? Yes. It's all covers. It's all the covers, and it's a great record. It's uh, anyone that wants to hear Nick Cave doing a bunch of covers, seek it out.
0: That one has uh, either his second or third uh, Bad Seeds record. And it definitely... His third. It's his third, yeah. So it hews a little bit closer to that early sound. Um, so it's a little bit more uh, unpolished. So it hews closer to the birthday party than probably the latter day. You know, the old crooner, the old, the old uh, Velvet Fog, you know? Um,
2: yeah, but it... At the same time, it's right after Tubaloo, and it's definitely when they were dabbling in a lot of Americana stuff at, at the same time.
0: But in, in his own kind of weird Australian spin, it's not necessarily like mm-hmm. yeah, like a oh, John yeah. Fogerty record. It is definitely like like <laughs> Twisted Americana. But great choice. My number two, uh, I know Eric uh, mentioned this song already, and he, he passed right over it but i'm sorry it's an obvious choice and i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna stick with it it's uh, of course dead souls by uh done by nine inch nails originally done by joy division Exactly. I mean, it's it's a great, great cover. It's usually found in their set list still. Uh, the drumming on it uh, from Chris Vrenna. I believe that's Chris Vrenna on the studio version. I don't you know. You got it. Um, and, uh, I mean, that line, uh, anytime that I hear it, imperialistic house of prayer, conquistadors who took their share. Um, Trent's delivery on that is by far i mean there's some lyrics in life that you stumble upon when you're listening to a great song and then you just like swish it around your mouth like a fine wine um nick cave has one in uh, red right hand uh microscopic cog in a catastrophic plan um that's oh, yeah. one that always like oh yeah that's that tastes delightful um but I, uh uh about that. I think about that line. I think about that line at work
2: way too often.
0: Um, but uh, Ian Curtis, I know that wrote the original lyric. Uh, but this is definitely one of those. You find it on the Crow soundtrack um, and the Downward Spiral definitive deluxe edition two disc set. Um, but man, when something's good, it is just one. It, when you proposition the Lord with prayer about doing a five best cover songs, it would be a disservice and a sin for me to not talk about it again. So there it is, folks. Dead souls.
1: Yeah, it truly benefits from bigger production um, and, you know, it just, it's one of those that Trent can make his own when he sings it and uh, and he did a great job. Uh, yeah, the big drums and that bass line, not always with the, um, back in that era, the they were he was using like the synth bass modulation like crazy, but that like was some live bass and it and it just really suited itself well. And I think we just saw them play it a little over a year ago live and it was a great
2: moment. I really enjoyed that.
0: Alright, Steve. Your number one.
2: Alright. My number one is off is another country song, country related song. Um I I think the country genre it lends itself to quite a bit of covers. A lot of artists' biggest hits were written by somebody else. For example, many of Dolly Parton's biggest hits. Uh, Dolly Parton wrote a lot of songs for others, like Whitney Houston, if you will, but also, um, God damn it, I'm mixing her up with Patsy Klein. Apologies, my point still stands. Patsy Klein's version of Crazy, which is written by Willie Nelson, for example. Uh, the, the genre is just full of people writing songs for each other. Somebody takes another song, makes it more popular. Uh, you know Willie's doing Chris Christopherson songs 20 years later uh, Johnny Cash doing Waylon songs Years later They're appearing on each other's records That's what happens here on this one And this track Is one that has many ties to Parts of my life to where it almost makes me emotional And that is uh, Merle Haggard's And Willie Nelson's Poncho and Lefty Poncho was banded boy Horse was fast as is steel He wore his gun outside his pants For all the honest world to feel well, Pancho met his match, you know On the deserts down in Mexico And nobody heard his dying word Oh, well, but that's the way A way it ties a way it ties to this podcast is that uh, I, I did hear it here and there when I was a kid. Uh, my family on my dad's – my dad was the rock side with him. And then on my mom's side was a lot of the, the singer-songwriter country and folk stuff as far as what they made me listen to. And then my grandparents uh, on my mom's side, my grandfather kind of liked some country. They didn't listen to a lot of music. But then on my dad's side, my grandfather specifically was either into Merle Haggard and he also looked like Merle Haggard and still kind of does. And he also was a big uh, Van Morrison guy, oddly enough. And then a bunch of like big band stuff and old, old, old Hank Williams country. But uh, yeah, when Eric and I lived together or maybe even before we lived together, he mentioned over at the uh, what bar was that, Eric, where it was on the jukebox? Oh, was that at, it was in was Rancho? That,
1: was that at Flame Club?
2: no it was it was like like it wasn't a pine cove but it sounded like the pine cove The crow's nest <laughs> no it was over by a bowling alley Maybe. oh my god well we'll think of we'll think on
1: it <laughs>
2: anyways you mentioned one day you're like hey man have you ever heard the song poncho and lefty and i was like Oh yeah, poncho and that's a great song and that kind of got it you know back into my rotation then so eric helped kickstart that and uh Poncho and Lefty was written by Townes Van Zandt and it was off uh, his album from 1972, which I think was called the late great Townes Van Zandt. And he wrote it about a decade before they made it popular. Uh, He wrote it in the seventies. He was never very popular. He is a great singer songwriter who died a few decades ago. And this song kind of got me into him and their version of it came out in the early 80s it's Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard's version their version's a bit more upbeat than his um it has a really great sense of storytelling and even if you don't watch it with the video the video kind of just gives like this this like feeling that this story happens again and again no matter where you are there always is a poncho and lefty kind of just getting away with things that the at the last minute uh, a couple of buddies that are you know uh, up no good with the law but they're able to pull it off and uh, that's just the way it goes sometimes and um i just it's it's always seemed like a very very special in in, in mystical song to me and uh, like you know i, I just my, my brother and i are huge merle haggard fans he named his dog skybo after one of merle haggard's songs which is a called Skybo and that means a Skybo is a hobo with a plane. He's faster than a hobo and uh, and my mom and I went and saw Merle Haggard together and uh, the song itself their version of it, they recorded it up on a houseboat on Shasta Lake and Shasta Lake is up near my grandparents house in Redding so it makes me think of them Uh, my grandmother actually died a week ago today and so I've been thinking about her a lot lately, obviously. And this song makes me think of her as well because of the proximity of where she was to where it was recorded. There are many, many ties to, to, to this song in me to where it's my favorite cover song of all time. And on top of all that, uh, my wife and I, we became Towns Van Zandt fans uh, due to his music and a lot uh, based off this documentary that came out Fifteen years ago, it was, it was just a documentary. Him, uh, I think it's called Heartworn, Heartworn, Heartworn Highways, and um, I might have gotten the name wrong. I haven't watched it in a while. It's just him sitting around talking, then he'll he'll play a song, and then start talking again. And he was just one of the most like introverted, sad human beings. But man, he could he could write a really good, really good, personal song. And uh, we named our kid Towns. And they had a lot to do with that. And so this song, who it was written by, the quality of the performance, and the performers all lines up to make it one that I never tire of. So, Poncho and Lefty by Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson, as written by Towns Van zant The
0: boys tell how Poncho fell and left is living. Deep hotel, the desert's quiet, Cleveland's cold, and so the story ends. We're told, I don't to need your prayers, is true. We'll save a few for it too. He only did what he had to do, and now he's grown old. That's an example
1: of a 80s country song, because I mean, some purists could point fingers as the 80s of being a maybe a, a downfall in, in certain, certain parts of country, but you can, you can kind of tell it. It's got a little sheen to it. It's got a little like keyboard work on it, uh, but it's a lot of fun. And I think the bar was the Cedar Room, which was over there by, by the You're bowling right. alley. It was where I used to go after work all the time. And I think we were going to the bowling alley. I knew it was there. So we got some strong drinks. The memory's coming back to me like a flood. Look at that. Fantastic.
2: Yeah, no, it, 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 it was, it's the it's tail end. It's, it's, it's late, it's the early 80s. And so the outlaw movement's still tailing off there. But Merle and Willie never actually got like terrible Nashville uh, glitter and rhinestone style. Yeah. No. So even even when Merle was doing songs like a Rainbow Stew, he was still pretty respectable. I love Merle Haggard. I subscribe to his entire catalog. I, he wrote many, many great songs. His voice is amazing. That, that the, On this version of the song, by the time he comes in, he comes in for the third verse. And his delivery is just note perfect after you get two verses with Willie, whose voice is also wonderful as well. And I was really happy I saw Merle Haggard before he died. I need to make sure I see Willie before he dies. I've been saying that for almost a decade now. So that's that's a problem. So. It's a ticking clock.
1: All right, Mark, our, uh, number one, somehow you and I picked the same. We did. That's wild. That's wild.
2: We did. Go ahead, Eric. That's right. Which was my number My number four. That's
1: right. So on on uh, Unplugged, Nirvana did pick some really cool covers. Some like uh, post-punk and uh, indie alternative of the era. Um, as David Bowie. And then he played Lead Belly's uh, well, what I thought was called In the Pines, but apparently it's called Where, Where Did You Sleep Last Night? But it's got two titles. Hey, listen, they, they, they weren't documenting their song titles back in the uh, 19, you know, 10s or 20s or whenever Lead Belly was recording. It's, it's, it's hard to know for sure.
0: Yeah. Because um, Bill Monroe, he titled it In the Pines, and he recorded that in 1941. And then Lead Belly recorded it in 1944,
1: 1948. <laughs> i not 1910s. I don't know my, I don't know. my history is all whack. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Forties. There you go.
0: But I know what you're talking about because, uh, when Kurt Loder was interviewing, uh, Kurt Cobain, Kurt Loder, uh, in, was saying that the album, the, the song title was in the pines. Um, and, uh, Cobain said, but the Lead Belly version is called "Where Did You Sleep Last Night." Um, so you're kind of both right in the sense of that's not even the song title, but yeah.
1: I uh, it's 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 a great song. It's it's slow, and you Kurt does uh, what he does with his singing in this. girl my girl capabilities of of what he could do Um, and he was always a good singer but um, he's tapping into some you know obviously some blues and soul in this Um, it gets ragged it gets um, you know gets angry it gets I mean the songs about jealousy Uh, it's it still seems personal even though he's playing a song at that point was you know uh, you know 50 60 years old Um, and clearly he was a massive fan you guys remember that, uh, what was that, the, oh god damn what was the box set, the In the Light, the Nirvana box set that came out like
0: uh, 10, 15 years ago? Yes, um, uh, with the lights out.
1: I will the whole night through. the lights out oh uh, that's right and um there were a couple other lead belly covers on there um from their early phases where it was more like a punk rock version of lead belly but you could tell he loved seeing what he could do with that with that old blues i think i had inspired me to kind of go through a phase where i've never really been into blues but i i like any of the modern stuff but i did like that dusty old blind lemon jefferson like that really old stuff um, yeah. And you know,
0: Robert Ghost Johnson. World. I,
1: I <laughs> Ghost. We already made the Ghost World jokes, but there, but there was something cool about <laughs> stuff you can't even you can't even understand what they're saying because it's recorded on an old like old like you know, Victrola. Um, and uh, they're just shredding on these acoustic guitars. It's kind of uh, you know, in a way, it's it's. It, it, I can see why it's so inspiring to me. That's also super pretentious thing to get into. I realize
2: that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that cover, it floored me when I was a kid. And the passion at which he really lays into those, uh, my girl, my girl, tell me where'd you sleep. Yeah. His voice is cracking. And everything about uh, Unplugged is great. Recently an official account of some kind of YouTube account or some official Nirvana something of somewhere on the internet Released a high-def version of that whole show and also like some alternate uh, Behind-the-scenes footage and it was all kind of stuff you probably have on various and sundry Nirvana uh, Releases over the years, but it was nice to have something just focused on that show Uh, That's one of my favorite live albums and every one of the the covers on that album is, is, is awesome and yeah just the intensity at which he's singing it it's uh it's it's always taken me aback and i I like the fact too that there was probably many of kids that discovered a whole genre of music they wouldn't even have ever cared about because of what they played that night yeah yeah
0: um but it is that passion that really made me pick this one as my number one um Neil Young described Cobain's vocals during the final scream verse as unearthly, like a werewolf. Unbelievable. Um, Because he really does seem like he's just, you know, singing from the bottom of his guts and they're just like coming out of him, right? Um, I remember watching a... uh, It was like a Nirvana behind the scenes or behind the music kind of type show. I don't think it was a behind the music thing. There was a lot of Monday morning, Monday morning quarterbacking about this particular performance, and some of the musical journalists who maybe worked for Rolling Stone happen to be. I want to say it was like Rob Sheffield who said something like this, but he said, um, "You can see it on the tape uh, as he, uh, right before he says the whole night through, the last little bit, he opens his eyes, and it's just like you." They were discussing like that right there seemed to be a moment of realization that Kurt was done. You know, he just decided after, after this because it wasn't soon after that he committed suicide. Uh, but it was, I believe this was the last final performance of Nirvana. Um, cause I don't know if they did any shows after that. And I haven't done my research well enough in order to really say that with confidence.
1: There, there, was, there was one more, um, they actually did like a back home in Seattle, like live film show and i think it actually got released recently they anyways it was clear you're 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 close though it was with definitely within uh within a year within like nine months right
0: um but yeah and i always like remember that that i remember watching that and just seeing that moment like he opens his eyes and then he like almost realizing like like how f- kind of far he flew really close to the sun on that one and uh Maybe he realized it was it was time. He's done all that he could, um, but I don't know. I mean, it's probably just mythology. But I, I gotta say, um, whenever I listen to it, it, I can't help but think of that um, that statement. And just he really put it all into that song, and really made it, it did sound like it was a personal thing for him. So there you go, my number yeah. one.
2: Well, I think it's I think it's appropriate that. Uh, we all closed out this list. Well, you two did. And I had it on mine with a song involving Dave Grohl, who is the patron saint of rock and roll to an extent and great cover songs such as Baker street and down in the park. So it's only fitting that Dave Grohl is on this list somewhere.
0: And darling Nikki, he also did a really good version of that. Um, but yeah, Dave Grohl, like he, he showed up a couple times as I was whittling things down. Another honorable mention uh, because it's, it's, Pretty great on the face of it. You kind of want to smile and laugh at it, but Romstein's version of "Stripped" by Depeche Mode is a great time. Um, you can fu- God, God damn it, you can, fuck! You, know, you can find that on For the Masses, <laughs> an incredibly great covers album of Depeche Mode songs.
2: Oh yeah, hey! I betrayed. Uh, I forgot. I have forgotten the face of my father. It definitely should have been Ooh. on my list. I love that cover. I love the original very much, but I actually prefer the cover. They have. A, they just give it such. Uh, Yeah, at first you're like, all right, but then you listen to it, and the the melody, the da 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 da, the way they play that on the keyboard is just magnificent. I love it. Yeah,
0: Uh, come with me, we'll see through the trees. If you can,
2: (laughs) if you look at look it up online, look up live versions of that, and like. They they play it to European auditoriums and everyone's got lighters out and is singing along. They dare I say, I mean no one's gonna take a song from Depeche Mode, but when they play it they make it their own.
0: It's it's fantastic. uh, It's it's so good.
1: That 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 uh that for the masses had a great meatbeat manifesto cover of Everything Counts. Anyways go
2: on. You know what's funny? You know what's funny, Eric? Is I probably wanna listen to that about as much as you wanna listen to the very good version of Black Celebration by Monster (laughs) Maggie.
1: Hey, that, that, sounds, that sounds great, pal. That sounds great. I'm surprised you guys didn't pick any Manson songs.
0: It was close. I mean, the only uh, Manson cover that I really actually uh, really enjoy, um, he's done a cut co- like working class hero. He did a pretty good version of that. Um, but Down in the Park was definitely in consideration. I'm not a big fan of his tainted love or personal Jesus. Um, they just really do sound like, let's just remake it, you know? um he doesn't
2: yeah i yeah. feel i feel like a lot of his his a lot of his covers especially the ones during the scold era they're uh, they sound like they're phoning it in to
0: me yeah
1: he recently did that cover of uh, Ministry's stigmata that is really good but it is it's just it's it's it, it's not tongue in cheek at all which i guess makes it better than the other ones but it's uh it's it's faithful to the point of being like i'll just listen to stigmata
2: I'd say if I got to bring up any of his covers on this podcast, one I do enjoy from the last few years was his version of, uh, cat yeah. people, cat people, his version of cat people with, uh, shooter Jennings. It's pretty, pretty awesome. fun to listen to.
0: All right. Well guys, we did it. We, we, did it. we, uh, we mentioned some honorable mentions. We, uh, named our 15, uh, cover songs that we really think that belong in the time capsule. Um, so join us next time when we actually discuss Bowie doing some covers uh, from the album Hinn-Ups, released in 1973. Um, so, until then, we hope that we brought you closer to Pod. Let me see